Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my podcast series on the end times. I have to tell you that I have been super excited and super apprehensive about doing a podcast series on this topic. It is a fascinating and intimidating and widely misunderstood topic, which is why I took some time off to really study and pray about this subject. It seems that the end times has been a popular secular topic lately, especially with the global pandemic and many other disasters playing across our television and computer screens. And while the popular fictional series Left Behind series was written way back in 1995, we're not the first generation to wonder, is it now? People have been wondering for thousands of years when the end times would come and what exactly would happen when, in fact, it did come. So I thought that I would study this topic and share with you what the Bible says about the end times and then what some biblical theologians have to say on the subject. I have studied courses through Dallas Theological Seminary. I've studied the book, The Drama of Scripture by Bartholomew and Goheen. And I am also going to be using a lot of studies from my favorite team at thebibleproject.com. As you can well imagine, there are many opinions on this topic, not to mention quite a few, I'll call conspiracy theories. As with any biblical podcast, I'm going to encourage you to pray for discernment, read the Bible, check out the sources that I cite, as well as do some research on your own. We're told repeatedly in the Bible to meditate on it day and night, which means we're not going to be able to glean all there is to know in one sitting. We are to study the word throughout our lives. Focus on the family is a trusted guide for many on biblical information to help Christian raise their families. They recently had an interesting blog titled, preparing for the end times. And it started with this eye-catching phrase, quote, what should Christians be doing to get ready for the cataclysmic events preceding the end of the age and the second coming of Christ? Given the current state of affairs in the world, it's hard to avoid the conclusion that the Lord may be returning, unquote. And then the author continued, I'm trying to hold on to my confidence in God and live by faith, but some of my friends and relatives tell me that's not enough. They're selling their homes, moving to remote desert or mountain locations, stockpiling food, buying weapons and ammunition, and the list goes on and on. Is this right? Are we supposed to run and hide as things get worse or should we stay where we are and continue to minister to the people around us? Unquote. Wow, I think that's a really good question, isn't it? So that's going to be the focus of this podcast series. 
what exactly does end times mean and what does the Bible say we should do about it? So, before you pack your bags and head for the hills, how about you arm yourself with your Bible and let's get started. You might know that the Bible clearly instructs us to be vigilant. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whomever he may devour. Yes, 1 Peter is one of many examples where we're told in the Bible to be vigilant to be ready, to keep our lamps lit, so to speak. Jesus, in fact, talked about this quite often. The more I study the Bible, the more I realize the importance of being vigilant or spiritually ready. But what exactly does this mean to be spiritually ready? And what exactly are we to be getting ready for? We live in a world where we're bombarded with images and news flashes that tempt us to respond with fear on a nearly hourly basis. So how can we be vigilant as the Bible instructs us to be without being paranoid? Is there anything scarier than thinking the end is near? Many tend to look at the current events as a code to predicting the end times. Although some of you may be saying, bring it, it can't be any worse than what I'm going through right now. And for Star Trek fans, maybe you're tempted to say, beam me up, Scotty. Well, if you look in the dictionary, the definition of paranoid is, quote, being unreasonably or obsessively anxious or suspicious, unquote. Yeah, sadly, I know many who fall into this category. But that doesn't sound like anything God would want us to feel, does it? On the other hand, the definition of vigilant is, quote, keeping careful watch for dangers or difficulties, unquote. Now, that sounds a lot better. Now, what was it Peter said we needed to be vigilant against? Do you remember? It was the devil. The adversary is what we need to be watchful for. And believe me, the devil loves nothing better than to get us off track from keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's the one who wants us to become obsessed with when, when, when is the end times coming? Instead of how should we be living in the meantime? The devil wants to steer us off course to get us to focus on anything except God. Think about that for a moment. The devil wants us to focus on anything other than God. Has he done a pretty good job of that lately in your own life? In the business world, we used to call this the FUD factor, F-U-D. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yeah, that's the devil's M.O., When he can create fear, uncertainty, and doubt about our future, well, then he calls into question God's goodness and our very faith foundation. In these next few podcasts, I'm going to attempt to 
thwart the enemy's plans and fill that fear, uncertainty, and doubt with the biblical truth of God's plan for redemption for the world. So what do we mean when we refer to the end times? And when is it going to happen? Basically, when we talk about the end times, we're talking about the time of Christ's return to earth, or some refer to it as the second coming of Christ. So (laughs) you can see why this might cause a lot of excitement or a lot of worry. Did you know that the entire Bible, starting with Genesis and ending with Revelation, is a story of God's grand plan to restore us on earth to a perfect relationship with him again. Yeah, his goal is to create a new heaven and a new earth so we can live with him forever. From the beginning, God's plan has been to restore his good creation because we were the ones who messed it up when we decided to go rogue in Genesis 3 and to not listen to God and instead to seek wisdom and knowledge on our own instead of learning it from God. Remember that story of the serpent in the Garden of Eden? That's where Eve listened to the lie of the serpent who said that Eve should eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and bad because, quote, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, unquote. Yes, we messed up. And ever since then, I don't need to tell you, things have been screwed up with humanity. We have been at odds with each other, with creation, and with God. Instead of having work that was fruitful and satisfying, which was God's wonderful desire for us, we instead often toil with sweat on our brow and what seems to be an endless treadmill of despair. Well, that seems bleak. But please listen. That's not the end of the story. God didn't leave Adam and Eve on their own, nor does he leave us without hope. What was it that God said to Eve? This is so important to understand, and it really explains the whole rest of the Bible narrative. God made a promise to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head you will strike his heel. Okay, what does this phrase mean? He is the enemy, Satan. And Satan is going to try to thwart God's plans. But Jesus is going to defeat death when he rises from the dead because death is Satan's weapon. And so God told Adam and Eve that Jesus, who's going to be the seed of the woman, will eventually defeat the evil one once and for all. God, from the very beginning of the Bible, was giving us foreshadowing of his plan to defeat Satan and offer salvation to the world through Jesus Christ. Our world will one day be renewed 
if it wasn't going to be, if the goal was destruction, well, then Satan would have won, right? God's redemptive plan is to destroy Satan, not his creation. God will undo all Satan's evil, and God will restore everything. The entire Bible gives us glimpses of God's work in the world to restore his creation. And then we get to the very last book of the Bible called Revelation. And this book is written by the Apostle John. If you've ever tried to wade through this book, God bless you. We're going to talk about this book in the next few podcasts. First, it's called Revelation. There's no S. Revelation. The book is written in what's called apocalyptic language, which is why it's hard to understand because it's a poetic form and it's filled with metaphor and symbolism. It's not a secret code book giving us a timetable of when Christ is going to return to earth. And it's not a step-by-step book of what happens to us when we die either. The book of Revelation is a book of hope. Yeah, it's not a book of doom and gloom. It's a book of hope. John is giving us a vision of this new heaven and new earth and this new earth is entirely cleansed of evil and sin. Okay, if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John is allowed to see this glorious vision of God's heavenly dwelling place, what we call the new Jerusalem, come to earth. Now, Look at Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, chapter 21, specifically verses 3 and 4. And I quote, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away, unquote. I can't think of a better good news passage in the Bible, can you? What this means is that heaven, God's perfect dwelling place, which became separate from creation because of sin, is going to come back down to earth and God will live among us. You know, there was a time when God actually walked among his creation. Can you imagine what that must have been like? We're told in the Bible that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And when heaven comes to earth, the whole creation will be healed. Even the animal kingdom, all will be made new. The whole goal of the Bible story is to lead us to the time when we will have that renewed creation. Much of the book of Revelation is not a future book, but actually a history book, giving us a glimpse into this huge spiritual battle that has been raging and honestly shaping our history since that time in the garden. When John wrote 
his book of Revelation, his audience was this persecuted group of believers who were feeling like, well, like we might feel sometimes persecuted, misunderstood, all alone. So he wrote to seven first century churches, and the churches were under attack, literally and spiritually. And they felt like they were the only ones who were experiencing this. And so John in the book of Revelation gives his readers the assurance, look, you're not alone in this battle, and that there's actually a much larger spiritual battle going on, and that Satan is the one behind all this. And he explains, Satan hates Christ, and he hates Christ's followers. He's the master of lies. He's the great deceiver. So what's John's message in Revelation? It's a message of good news to this small persecuted group of people in what we call Asia Minor. But it's also good news to us 2,000 years later. The message? God wins! That's the message of Revelation. God wins. Oh, that's awesome news. But then John says, there's even more good news. Faithful followers of Christ get to share in the victory. And John acknowledged that while they may be feeling defeated at the moment, God is firmly in control of world events and evil will lose, and God will win. That sounds wonderful. But when you're in the midst of the storm, when you're sick, unemployed, heartbroken, oppressed, misunderstood, okay, your question would be, well, when? When will this happen? Because we certainly know it hasn't happened yet. There is still much evil and suffering and death in the world. So when? When will God win and Satan be defeated? And when will God come to live with us? Well, that's certainly what the people in Jesus's day wanted to know. When, Jesus? How much longer do we need to suffer? Jesus's followers were facing constant persecution from the Romans. So Jesus gave words of comfort to those around him. We find this in John chapter 15 verses 18 through 19. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you, unquote. And then we have John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We get afraid when things fall apart, don't we? We can sometimes really relate to those disciples in the boat with Jesus when the storm was brewing. We tend to give in to fear. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, talks about what is called the great day of the Lord. Now, it's also written in symbolic language and is a somewhat controversial chapter because first, the chapter before, Matthew 23, 
Jesus is trying to persuade his followers to be different from the Romans. He says, okay, look, I know they're treating you badly, but don't respond with hate, but with love. Jesus is trying to call his people back to follow him, not this self-destructive path that they're on. Listen to what he says. Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness, unquote. Jesus loves Jerusalem, and He's truly saddened about what's become of it. Jerusalem, remember, was intended to be the center of worship. It was the home of God's earthly temple. The Jews were supposed to be the light to the nations, God's holy chosen people. But Jesus is pointing out that Jerusalem and its people have become blind to God and really insensitive to one another. He goes on in Matthew 23, verses 33 through 39, and I I love this. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how Often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Unquote. So now we get to Matthew 24, and this is where many get confused about, well, Is Jesus talking about the end times? And if he is, when does he say it will happen? A little background. The temple in Jesus's day. This was the second temple, but some actually refer to it as the third temple because it was magnificently rebuilt by Herod the Great. It was over 15 stories high truly an architectural marvel. So in Matthew 24, we have Jesus and he's walking by the temple with his disciples and he draws attention to the building saying, do you see these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Okay, (laughs) well, you can imagine the shock and the horror that this prediction would have made on all those who are walking with Jesus. And so, of course, the question is going to be, 
when is this going to happen? But here's what's interesting. The disciples link this question about the temple's destruction directly with another question. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, isn't that interesting? Because you see, in Jesus's followers' minds, Jesus is the king. And so they see the destruction of the temple linked with Jesus establishing his earthly kingdom. In other words, okay, Jesus, when are you going to set up your earthly kingdom if God's house is to be destroyed? Okay, the next 30 verses talk about false prophets and nations rising against nations and famines and earthquakes. And then Jesus says that these are the beginning of birth pains. And then Jesus talks about an abomination that causes desolation. And then in verse 34, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Okay, that verse has caused so much confusion. What does the Bible typically mean when it says a generation? What did Jesus mean when he said a generation? Other places in the Bible, a generation means 40 years. So it appears that what Jesus is talking about is the answer to their first question. When will this happen? Meaning the destruction of the temple. If you know your history, you know the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Roughly 40 years after Jesus made that prediction. Now, It's true, right? We still have nations rising against nations and famines and earthquakes. We've really had all these things since man's rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus describes all this as a woman in labor. Okay, for females who are listening, what is the end result of birth pains? A new birth, right? All the pain, all the discomfort, at the end, it's worth it because we see that beautiful baby, that new creation. Now, during the birth pains, sometimes you might see a glimpse, but it's kind of through a veil of of what's going to come up. Maybe you get an ultrasound or you feel an arm or a leg kicking, but ultimately, the arrival is veiled until it's birth. Okay, Jesus is using a metaphor here for his return because he knows us. And we do. We tend to focus on the birth pains instead of the actual birth. The birth is where the good news is going to be. Christ will come again. So, in answer to the disciples' second question, what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? This, Jesus answers in Matthew 24, 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Rats, you were hoping for a date, weren't you? But maybe it's a good thing we don't know the day or the hour, because how many of us are procrastinators and would wait until minutes before 
to get our act together, sitting up until the moment he arrives. Well, then what should our response be to this conundrum? Jesus tells us that in Matthew 24, verse 13. He says, quote, stand firm to the end and we will be saved, unquote. Paul talks a lot about this standing firm. What exactly does that mean? Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. There will be distractions. There will be wars and threat of wars. There will be famines and earthquakes. Preach the good news. God will win. Well, I hope you've learned a few things in this podcast. And in our next podcast, we're going to continue this end times theme. And we're going to talk about heaven. Is heaven the end or is it the beginning of the end? Or is there life after life after death? Have a blessed day.